Uh, with that, though, I'll, uh, uh, we'll turn to God's Word this morning and uh, look to see what him, listen to Him speak uh, into our, our lives uh, this morning. And so, as we come to the the Lord Jesus, uh, to come to God in in, to, in His Word, let's uh, let's let's bow once more in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus. Uh, thank you that He invaded people's lives with mercy and kindness and blessing. Lord, we thank you that we gather here now to a living Lord Jesus Christ, one who triumphed over death, one who comes to greet us with mercy and provision. Oh, we thank you for all the mercies that you, you lavish on us. And so we ask you, Father, that right now the Holy Spirit might come and lead us into truth. Lord, you know our hearts. And so we pray that we may hear the voice of God in our hearts and that, Lord, you will change us through your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in recent weeks, we've been looking at the way the Lord Jesus encountered people and changed lives. We've seen the way he dealt with people, uh, the way he showed his extraordinary power, the way he demonstrated his remarkable kindness, mercy, and compassion to them. And, and we've seen how Jesus brings uh, meaning and hope and brings answers to the lives of the people who of people who are in need, and not just to to people, um, you know, the people in those times in in, in which Jesus lived two thousand years ago, but people now today, uh, people like you and me who also need him. And this morning, the the story that we're going to be looking at is a bit different than the ones that we've been looking at this far, which have largely been stories of of Jesus's direct interaction with individuals who have found themselves in great and desperate need, a need that only could be met by Jesus. Uh, but this morning, we're we're going to look at a story that's a little bit different uh, than those encounters. What 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 Jesus encounters in this story isn't the, specific, the, the need of a specific identified individual, but the need, um, the need that he confronts in the midst of a wedding celebration. And the account of this story is recorded for us in, in John chapter 2. It's a very familiar story to many of us, I'm sure. Uh, so let me get, begin by reading from John chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour hasn't yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it to him. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to, every, said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, 
then serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Well, this is an interesting story that we've just read. It's about a crisis that is about to break. It hasn't broken yet. There's a wedding party going on and, and everybody, everything looks fine. Everyone's enjoying themselves. It's a lot of fun. But under the surface, there's a crisis brewing. They're running out of wine. And so let, let's set the context. We're told this wedding took place in, in Cana and in Galilee. And Jesus, his disciples, and his mother were all invited. And we can assume that the the wedding involved people who were known to Jesus and his family and friends. And Cana was most likely in those days would have been a relatively small village. And I suppose most of the village would have been invited uh, as well. You know, everyone would be, have been looking forward to, to this event. It would, there would have been a great buildup to it. And what a glorious time for this bride and groom to come together and create great excitement. But under the surface, there was real danger that this wedding was going to be a catastrophe. This would be the wedding that is always remembered and not in a good way. It would always be remembered as the wedding that, where the wine ran out. Maybe the host, the groom, had failed to, to make enough provision in the first place. Uh, possibly more people came than, than had been expected. Or maybe they, may, they drank more than, than, than he anticipated. For whatever reason, the wine was running out. Now, on the surface, everything's fine. No one knows that at, at, at the moment. Hi, good to see you. You look great. Terrific time we're having. But under the surface, under the surface, we're in trouble. We're running out. And in a shame and honor culture like this, this would have brought such great shame. Remember that wedding? What a mess. What a failure. They ran out of wine. I mean, how dishonoring to everyone there. But it's under the surface. And the Bible's of such help to us because it knows that we go through times like this. Maybe you're here this morning and it's like, hey, good to see you. But maybe under the surface, you're running out. Maybe you're running out of answers. Maybe you're running out of hope. Maybe you you think, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning saying, I don't know if I can keep it up. You're just running out. And it's not public yet. People don't know yet. People think, hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. But underneath you're thinking, well, it's not really fine. We're in trouble. No one knows yet. But under the surface, we're in trouble. Maybe you're a single parent. You think, I I don't know how to cope. How how do I make ends meet? How can I do this? Maybe you're a student. You you think, I wish I hadn't taken that class, that course. I can't can't keep up. I don't know if I can do this. It's too tough for me. You could be very successful at work. and and, And they're saying, hey, we're very impressed with you. 
And, and we're giving you higher goals to go for and, and we want to promote you and, 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 and we need more of your time and we need more commitment from you. You really are the guy that we've got great hope for, you, for and your wife's going, what? More demands? More time away from family? And the pastor's saying, hey, we want to use you uh, more as a small group leader. We really feel you've got something to give. And you're, and you're thinking, how do I do all this? I'm not sure I can keep it all up. I, I've been... I'm, I'm being pulled in every direction. There's all kinds of reasons we come to a place where we feel, I don't know if I've got much more to give. And we hit such times. We hit such times as Christians where everything on the surface looks fine. But underneath the surface, it's not doing so well. And maybe we've just shared with one close friend, like someone had come to Mary and said, Mary, we're running out of wine. We're in trouble. Maybe you've said, I'm really worried. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I've got what it takes. Well, this story is about people who are in trouble, but it's not known yet. And we discover here that Jesus comes in and he steps right into such situations. In fact, it's interesting. We're left in no doubt as to why John wrote his gospel. He tells us at the end of of John 20, he says, if if you like, this is why I wrote the gospel. Let me just read to you what it says. John 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's saying, that's why I wrote it. He's he's trying to write his gospel. He's thinking, what should I include? There's so many things that I can include. Lots of things are not written in here, but the things that are written, I've written them so that you might have faith, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, you find life. And interestingly, John, uniquely of all the gospel writers, calls seven of, the, of Jesus' miracles signs. The other gospel writers don't use that word, but John, John does. And, he, and, and, he's, and he's saying seven of these miracles that he did, they're, they're pointing to something more. It's not just a miracle, it's pointing to something. And so, for instance, at one point Jesus fed thousands of people from a few loaves. And then he stood up and said, I am the bread of life. Another time he he opened the eyes of a blind man. He said, I am the light of the world. So some of these signs uh, he did pointed to something else. It's saying more than meets the eye. And so this first sign he did at this wedding, turning gallons of, of, of water into wine, there's something here that we're meant to see. And it's something that shows us something about who the Lord Jesus is being revealed to be. These signs are are recorded to help us understand that he is the Christ. But but, But not only to know that he's the Christ, but by believing something... By believing something supernatural happens, that, 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 that believing you may have life, he says. Things start happening on the inside. You step out of darkness into light. You come into the kingdom. You get set free from all sorts of things. John says, that's why I've written these things, 
That's why I, I, I chose, of the many things that happened through Jesus' life, these are the things I've chosen to, to written about so that you might come to believe. So that's the background. There, there's, so there's a wedding at Cana. The whole village is gathered for this great celebration, and they're enjoying this wedding. And commentators tell us that, that these weddings could last up to seven days. I mean, they knew how to party. Seven day, a seven-day party. And the first thing we see is this, that Jesus was happy to be at a party. Now, I wonder if, if that fits your concept of Jesus. I mean, sometimes our, our thoughts about Jesus, we've, we've constructed a, a, a very kind of religious Jesus who certainly wouldn't be seen at a party. You know, we, we, I, I thought I'd see Jesus at the synagogue or maybe, maybe the temple, not at a party. It doesn't fit my picture of Jesus. Well, we need to let the Bible inform our picture of Jesus. And he's here at a party and he's happy to be there. And I've never, I've never been to a, a Jewish wedding or party, but I've seen them portrayed in, in movies. And you, and you see how the guys very often, they're all, you know, they got arms around one another's shoulders and they're all dancing, dancing away in these great circles and it's loud and boisterous. And Jesus is there. And I can't imagine that he's over in the corner looking down at them. I can imagine that he's happy to be, be there and he's enjoying it and he's enjoying the wine and he's enjoying the laughter and he's, and he's, and he's jumping in and joining the dancing, just being part of the party. The Bible says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to, to, in all of its fullness. He didn't say, I've come that you might have, a, have meetings and have them abundantly. He wants to bring life. He wants to, to be in, in your party and, and, and for you to be happy to have them there with you. And, and, and he's he, he happy to be with you. Now, that isn't Satan's idea, of course. You may remember that when, when Jesus began his public ministry, he was immediately taken into the wilderness and tempted by Satan, the Bible says. And Satan had a different idea altogether. Why don't you do a sign? If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, why don't you do some amazing sign? Where? The temple, of course. Hurl yourself down from the temple. Let the angel save you. Let that be a sign. Do something religious at the temple. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I'd rather do it at a party. And look, he's happy to be at a party where he's not even the center of attention. At a party, a wedding party, it's all eyes on the bride and groom. They're at the center, they're the center of attention. And he's happy to be in that context. The Lord of glory is happy to be at somebody else's party and to do his first miracle there, to serve them. And I don't think it's insignificant that this wasn't just any party, but it was a wedding party. Sometimes you go to a wedding and you'll find uh, that the minister will make some reference in his introductory remarks and say words such as, and the Lord Jesus, by his presence at the wedding in Cana, was affirming marriage, and, and so on. And yes, he did. He endorsed marriage. Uh, he is for marriage. He loves marriage. And it's interesting. Why would Jesus 
do his first miracle at a wedding. Well, do you remember how John the Baptist introduced Jesus? John the Baptist, he, he drew huge crowds. He led, this, he led a huge revival. Crowds went out to see him. In fact, it says, are, they, they, they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're, we're waiting for? Because so many people are flocking to you. And his answer was this, no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. So he introduced Jesus as the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is coming. So Jesus is described as the bridegroom. And perhaps we wouldn't be surprised because when we reach the end of this book, the book of Revelation, what does it, what, what, what does it tell us? It finishes at a great bridal supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's all heading towards a great marriage. He's come seeking a people who will be committed to him forever, who will ultimately be in, the, be in that marriage supper of the Lamb. And so maybe it's not surprising after all that he's happy to do his first miracle at a marriage celebration. Because this is why it's a, it's a sign, because marriage is at the core of our relationship with Jesus. It's at the heart of the, the kind of relationship that we are brought into through the gospel. And so Jesus is for marriage. He is for marriages succeeding. He wants us to enjoy marriage and work out marriage. This is God's desire for us. And it may well be, in fact, that our marriages are one of the areas where we feel, hey, we're running out. We're running out of wine. We're running out of joy. I don't know what's happening to us. The excitement seems to have been gone and he's beginning to look elsewhere or she's beginning to and maybe you you've even told a friend i'm not sure if i've got his heart anymore not the sort of thing we broadcast we say hi good to see you but we may tell one friend we're running out we're in trouble well it's into that kind of setting that jesus can speak and that's the first thing that I see here. And the second thing uh, I see here is this very strange conversation he has with his mother. Did you notice it? Uh, she comes to him and says, uh, the running out of wine, to which he replies, woman? You think that's an odd uh, way to speak to your uh, mother? I certainly never said that to my mother. And if you use the NLT, you'll notice it says, Dear woman, but I give you permission to take a pen and cross that out because it's not in the Greek at all. It, it, it's, it's not there. They softened it. They thought, oh, that's a bit nasty. We'll put in dear. But you look at the text. It isn't there. It's just woman. It's the same word he, he used when speaking to the woman at the well in John 4 who had five, who had had five husbands and was now living with some other guy. He calls her woman. But actually from the cross, when you think, how can anyone even be thinking about anyone else? He looks down and he sees Mary and he sees his disciple John and he says, woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. So we don't want to, to make too, 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 too much, look, you know, read too much into it, even though it's kind of strange way of speaking to our ears to say woman. But if that's strange, what follows is even stranger because he says, what does this have to do with me? 
And apparently it's a very difficult sentence to translate. A literal translation would be, what to you, to me. So you'll find different Bible translate, uh, Bibles translate it slightly different. Uh, here it says, what does this have to do with me? The NIV says, why do you involve me? The NASB says, what business do you have with me, woman? So what's going on here? What's this all about? Well, I believe this is what's happening here. Just ponder it a bit. I believe that what's happening here is that Jesus is making it clear to Mary that something new is happening. Something significant is taking place. What do I mean? Well, Jesus, of, of course, has been invited to this wedding. And his mother is there as well. It's a great social occasion. But it also says that his disciples were with him as well. So at this wedding, at this place where this first miracle is, is performed, there is this overlap of Jesus' natural life as a son and a friend and Jesus the Messiah who's come gathering disciples, bringing in the kingdom. And these two things, these two spheres, these two worlds, if you like, are overlapping at this wedding. You see, surely Mary got used to having Jesus in the home. It says early on in the Gospels that when he was a little boy, they kind of lost him in the temple and, and then they found him. And it says this, he was obedient to, to them. In other words, he was a perfect child. He became a perfect teenager. Stop and think about that for a moment. A perfect teenager. In fact, I'm not, I'm not actually sure that the water into wine thing was, was actually his first miracle. I mean, a perfect teenager. And then he lived through his 20s. He didn't begin his, his public ministry until he was about 30 years of age. He was at home. Now, if you read the gospel accounts, Joseph his father kind of disappears. He, he's there at the beginning, and it, and it says there are other sons and daughters of the marriage of, of Joseph and Mary. The Bible plainly says that. But Joseph himself is not there later on in the gospel stories. And most commentators think that he probably died young. And, and so Mary would have had this substantial family of sons and daughters, Jesus being the first son. And I can imagine that she would have leaned on Jesus. I'm sure Jesus was, was like a rock to her. He, 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 he would have been full of kindness and full of thoughtfulness, tenderness, the kind of person that we know he was, innocent, beautiful, loving. And I'm sure he, he, he was to her everything she needed. He would be there for her. But now Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's been baptized. The voice has come from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm really delighted. The spirit comes upon him and he begins his public ministry. He begins to gather disciples, Peter, James, John, and others. And so there's an overlap here, an overlap of, yes, a family wedding, an important social gathering, but but his public ministry has begun. His disciples have begun to gather and there's this overlap. He's at this wedding, but he's now begun to fulfill his public ministry. And so Mary turns to him and says, Jesus, they're running out of wine. And it's as though, though he's saying to her, Mary, you need to understand 
that it's not going to be like it used to be. You need to understand that it's a different relationship now. You've got to, you've got to get to know me in a different way. And D.A. Carson, a fantastic commentator, says this, we mustn't avoid the conclusion that Jesus, by rebuking his mother, however courteously, declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. Let me just read that last bit again. He's declaring at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. In other words, it's not like that anymore, Mary. I can't be there just for you anymore. I'm sure she expected, oh, don't worry, I'll go and, I'll go and get some wineskins. Don't worry, I'll look after it. Don't fret, I'll look after it. No. It's different now, Mary. I've started my public ministry. The kingdom of God is now breaking out. My greater calling is upon me. Mary had to understand, I'm not just there for you. Because it's the reign of Christ. It's another kingdom that's breaking out. Now, why do I labor this? Well, to be honest, because I think sometimes we can be a bit like this, even as Christians. You know, we like to, 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 to think Jesus is just there for us. He's just there for us when we need him. You know, I've got my family. I've, 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 I've got my home. I, I've got my job. And I've got Jesus. And it's great having Jesus. He's such a help. You know, you, you, you kind of hit a problem. He's there. Oh, I need a parking spot. Please, Lord. Oh, great. There it is. Thank you. And it's like he's there for parking spaces. He's there when we need him. He's there when we're in trouble. He's kind of there for us. And sometimes we can kind of treat him, you know, like a genie in the bottle. Jesus, this please. And sometimes people come to church and they, they even become part of a church, and after a while, sometimes they just fade away. You say, what happened? Well, life. Jesus didn't do anything for me. Sometimes you hear that. He didn't do anything for me. As the whole deal was that he was there just to do stuff for you. And it's very clear here. Listen, that's not the way it is. What? You mean you, mean you won't help here? Well, actually, we read the story. He helps them phenomenally. He solves their problem with gallons of wine. He helps. Oh, boy, does he help. But notice how he helps. It's very important we notice what's going on here. It's important to understand the way he helps and the way he steps in. You see, he's not there, he's not there to be domesticated. He will help, but see how he helps. He helps by taking over. That's how he helps. He gives instructions, and he gives instructions that are specific, unreasonable, and require faith and obedience. That's how he's going to solve this problem. It's not like, okay, okay, Mary, I'll, I'll run out and go get a, a few bottles. It's not like that. That's not the way he solves it. And the extraordinary thing is that Mary says, do whatever he tells you. I mean, Mary does so well. 
Do whatever he tells you. I mean, many of us would be like, no, I'm leaving the church. You speak to me like that, I'm not coming back here. He does so well. Do whatever he says. You know how important those words are in the Christian life? In fact, it's probably the most important thing Mary ever said. Whatever Jesus says to do, you do it. And so he takes over. He gives instructions that are specific. Fill the water jars. Unreasonable. Fill the water jars. And requires faith and obedience. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine the scene. We're out of wine. Jesus says, right, right. Right, get the water jars. No, no, Jesus, there's no problem with the water, okay? We've got plenty of water. It's the wine. The problem is we're out of wine. Okay, fill the water jars. Jesus, listen, listen. I don't think you're tracking here. It's not the water. It's the wine. We're out of wine. Get it? It's the wine. Okay, fill the water. Oh, come on. What do you mean? I don't understand. Which part of fill the water jars don't you understand? You know, that's how it often is with the gospel. A child can understand it, but there's something in the adult mind that says, hey, come on. You see, many people will come to church and their experience is basically, hey, I don't understand. And that's because they come with the idea that, you know, they basically reduce it down to their own shallow preferences. Come and solve this problem for me, Jesus. Come and take this problem from me, Jesus. That's what you're here for. That, that's all you're here for. That's the box that you fit into. You're my butler. Or they come uh, in another way with, just, with a desire to just get, you know, a, a little peace, a little blessing. They want to receive a nice blessed thought to to take them on in life and, 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 and give them something positive and uplifting for their day, maybe something they can stick on their fridge or something. And then they come with those wants and expectations, but they discover that we want to talk about Jesus dying on a cross. No, 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 I'm not interested in, in what happened 2,000 years ago. I just want peace. I just want Jesus to help me out. you've got to learn that Jesus will not be treated like a genie in a bottle. He can't be domesticated like that. And you've also got to learn that your problem is much bigger than you realize. You've got to, to, to learn that your lack of peace is because something massive is out of place. You are out of step with the God who made you. You're in trouble. You've got judgment hanging over you. You don't know what death is going to bring. You don't know. You are in a terrible place. Your problem is bigger than you realize. And God has done something breathtaking to meet your problem. In his infinite mercy, he has provided an answer for you. And it's about a cross where his son took on human form and took away all of our guilt and all of our shame. The Bible says this, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin. And so Jesus on the cross took the sin of the world on himself. He, and, and he was smashed and cursed and judged in our place. And you need to understand that just like these guys had to understand, fill the water jars. And just like Mary even had to understand, I'm not just there for you because it's the reign of Christ. It's another kingdom that's coming in. You know, how many of us live our lives it's almost like we say, 
to all the other idols uh, in my life. Uh, move over. Let Jesus in as well. And so we have this and this and this and this, all kinds of stuff, and Jesus. And what we find is actually it doesn't work really well. We discover our Christian life is kind of a misery. And we'll be like, can I keep this up? And, 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 and when we're in trouble, we'll speak to him. But that's the only time we'll speak to him. Lord, get me out of this. That's it. And life is inconsistent. The rest of the time, we're just doing our own thing. Our heart's everywhere else. Everywhere else. And yeah, sometimes there'll be those moments where we feel convicted. Oh, sorry, Lord. You know, sorry. But, but we don't change. And it's like, God, you, you know I'm in a problem. Hey, Jesus. Would you sort this out for me? And Jesus says, no, I'm not a genie in a lamp. Mary, you've got to, to know me in a different way. Daryl, you've got to know me in a different way. I'm in charge. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that? Have you said, Lord, I give you control? That's when the kingdom starts breaking out. That's when... When he starts, it's when he starts making the calls, when he starts making the choices. It's life with Jesus now in a completely different way. And sometimes you can kind of come to a crisis where maybe there's a time in your life you said, Lord, you know, I give you my life and you genuinely meant it. But what can happen is that you, you start that way and you're going on through life and you see someone or you see something and you think, wow, I want that. And you, and, and you say, I'll just take the wheel now, Lord. I, I'm going here. Because I'm not sure he, he, he would let me have that, but I want it. And you take the wheel back and you start steering. And then you make another choice and another choice. I'll take the wheel. And now you're driving and Jesus is in the back. There was a moment when he used to be in charge, but you're in charge now. And then his presence seems to fade away. The sense of the nearness of Jesus, the excitement what, uh, 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 of what it used to be like when you first came to him, it kind of fades. Because you're no longer hearing him. You're no longer doing his will. Listen, he wants the wheel. He wants to be in charge. And that is the kingdom of God. When, when God has a people who by faith Bring him their obedience to with joy say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, Lord. And these guys began to learn to live that way. Like, like Jesus says to them on one occasion, have you caught any fish? They say, no, we tried all night. We haven't caught anything. He says, well, throw the net on the other side. They could have said, listen, we're fishermen, you're a carpenter, forget it. No, they said, they said this. We've caught nothing, but at your word, at your word, they threw the net on the other side. Because you said so. And they threw the net in. Wow, can't contain the fish. And they couldn't contain the wine either, gallons of the best wine that they'd ever tasted. Because God is an incredible provider. But he wants your life. He wants your life. Not that this is my life and Jesus helps me a bit. No, no. But that he's the one in charge.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you want our lives. We thank you that you don't want us just to know someone who just shows us the parking space, solves our little problems, but Lord, uh, you can really rescue us from our fears, the things that really scare us. You can start um, all over again with us. You can turn water into wine. Thank you so much, Lord, that you're not here to be manipulated by us, but, but for us to hear the simplicity of your word. Lord Jesus, we pray for a wholehearted determination to put you first, to let you call the shots, let you make the decisions in our lives. We, we, we thank you it, it, it's, that it's always to bless us, it's not to crush us, it's not to destroy us. It's to call us into the kingdom of God, into a new world of, of light and joy where, where you're our supplier. And Father, I ask that you will, that you will, that we will know that transformation in our lives, in our homes, in our jobs, wherever we live our lives. That Lord, we'll build in a new obedience to you, a new delight in your will. And I do ask it, Lord, in, in Jesus' name. Amen.